What is good, guys? Welcome to Top House Sports, where we analyze and break down sports games from the week, as well as give our reactions and takeaways. I'm Hadam Sochi along with Katie Mutemet, and we have a lot to talk about, so let's get started. So first week five of the NFL just concluded, and, you know, there's a lot of great games that just happened, a lot of big takeaways that we could all learn from. So what was your big takeaway from week five? I feel like week five provided us with a lot of information regarding which teams are, like, bound to go for a late playoff run and which ones may be frauds and starting off i think we can both agree that the packers disappointing as the giants was a bit of a bit of a statement game that i feel like makes us like wonder this team are they legit oh yeah i mean for me i saw that the packers were not as good as what everyone made them seem we all knew that aaron Rodgers. Um, was this really elite quarterback. He just came off of two MVPs. So even without Devontae Adams, he was still able to hold his own with all these other receivers. But as we saw, this offense is, is not clicking together. Without Devontae Adams, Aaron Rodgers doesn't have that special connection he has with Devontae, able to feed him the ball where he wants it to be. All these other receivers need to find with Aaron Rodgers, hey, where can we get the ball to you guys? How can we get the ball to you guys? Where is the best ball placement that we can to put you in the best positions? And... The chemistry between Rodgers and the wide receivers is just not there. And for because of that, they need to run the ball heavily. And when they're down, they're not able to, you know, keep running the ball as often as they can. But even with that, the, they were up by a lot against the Giants in London. And they just were not able to capitalize. So maybe it's also this Packers defense, which was heralded as a great defense, one of the best secondaries in the league. Maybe they're just overrated as, you know, as, as everyone thought they would. Because going into the season, they were heralded as the number top secondary According to PFF number one, but I mean now it seems like they're kind of, you no, know, they're just not able to hold their own. Yeah, and I completely agree. I feel like this defense going to the season was held like, I feel like similarly with the Saints defense, those two being the top two going to the season. While the Saints probably haven't been up to par with the expectations held for them as well, I think the Packers have disappointed a lot with their defense. Whether it's just like. I, they're at f- pretty much full health too, so there's really no question marks around that defense. It's just the play I feel like has been overrated. And let's go to the Giants because the Giants made an incredible comeback against the Packers. Do you think they're legit, or is this just early luck for them? Well, I think we're seeing some very interesting things in the NFL. One being that this division, the NFC East, has a team that's five and zero and four and one. And what shocks me even more is that these two teams are the Eagles and the Giants out of those teams in the division. I feel like and going the into Cowboys. the season, Cowboys are also four oh yeah. and one too. Oh yeah, Cowboys four and one with Cooper. Cooper like, Rush. That's Cooper Rush, man. Like th- that's a crazy division right now. The Commanders, not so much, but like, yeah. <laughs> for the most part, that division is crazy stacked. And I feel like going into the season, we really didn't see that coming. But to answer your question about the Giants specifically, I think that team is kind of overcoming the expectations that they had for them this season but i don't see them making a late playoff run while they may be a playoff caliber team i don't see them getting to pass the wild card to be honest um i don't think the giants are still the team that everyone thinks they are right now even though they're four and one i think that's a little overshadowing how lackluster their offense is still daniel jones i still i'm still not on on him right now i'm still not on this hype train with daniel jones he's still mid for me um I just he's just the only thing that's making him relevant right now is just him being able to rush for good yardage on the ground. Throwing the ball wise, I still don't see him being as accurate as he needs to be to be an elite quarterback and make this Giants team into where they need to be in the playoffs. 
Um, Saquon Barkley, honestly, I think it's the only guy that's just proving it to everyone, carrying this Giants offense on its back, honestly, because their passing attack is a little lackluster. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. You know, like I know all their receivers were injured. Galladay wasn't really there. Uh, Katerius Tony, I'm not sure if he's still injured or not. And then we know Sterling Shepard's out for the season, so it was up to Darius Slayton to take up the wide receiver load for that game. But even then, like I just, I just, I just don't believe in that offense. Still, I do know that their defense is actually playing pretty good, so I'm gonna give their props. The Giants' defense has been playing pretty phenomenal, and they've been getting tur- turnovers as well. Like, oh yeah, affecting games and benefiting them as well. Yeah. Yeah, but I just know, like with this, with this league right now, is so much offensive based that you need a great offense to make the playoffs. I don't, I just don't think the Giants have it what it takes right now. Yeah. Honestly, one thing I did want to say about Daniel Jones is while he may not be the most impactful through the passing game, I feel like his run game has stepped it up. And that's another reason I feel like this Giants offense has generated some like some mobility to move the ball downfield. It's because of the threat of Daniel Jones being able to run it and Saquon, that duality threat. That's more of the reason I feel like they're getting offensive production. I mean, if the Giants do make the uh, if they do make the playoffs, I do think Saquon does have a real chance of winning MVP. But I, just, I don't know; it's it's an MVP award, it's a quarterback award. Yeah. But he could make it as the uh, offensive player of the year for sure. And another big takeaway for me I got from Week Five was the Chiefs and Bills were just two teams that's just been thrown around the past couple playoffs. Uh, I just don't see that stopping as well. The Chiefs and Bills I do think are going to make the AFC Championship, and the winner of that will go to the Super Bowl. So. We do have a lot of great AFC teams this year. Chargers, Chiefs, Bills, Ravens. But I don't know. What I saw so far week five, it doesn't matter if Tyree Kill's gone from the Chiefs. Patrick Mahomes is he is still the man. Yeah. The best quarterback in the league. He's just able to throw the ball, do whatever he wants on offense. I mean, we've seen without Tyree Kill, I think he has more passing options now instead of just focusing on one guy. Like he's able to spread the ball out to like numerous amounts of receivers we've seen like for every game he's checked the box score at least six seven almost eight guys have at least one catch from Mahomes every single game and we know Kelsey's just going to be Mr. Old Reliable I mean he had four, four touchdowns. touchdowns man like, that's, that's crazy, crazy. <laughs> man. but even then like Mahomes is still able to feed the ball to whoever's open it's not just if Kelsey is open then he feeds it to him like if other people are open and has a better chance of getting open he'll feed it to the people that are, are directly open to him yeah and to go off of that I think if I'm not mistaken, Travis Kelsey only had 25 passing yards for the entire game. He receiving coupled, yards. Yeah, receiving yards. Yeah, my bad. Not no, passing yards. <laughs> um, yeah, four, uh, four touchdowns, though. That really benefited him. But the 25 receiving yards that he had were honestly astounding. It shows that the production for the receiving options for the Chiefs, there's just such a variety that you can choose from, whether it's Juju, Valdez, Scantling, even the rookie Sky Moore. There's just so many options that you could put there, you know? Yeah, and for the Bills, I mean... Wow, I mean, we said yeah. last podcast we predicted the Bills were going to easily. We didn't have to touch on it too much, and I mean, they kind of proved us right. I mean, Gabe Davis, Stephon Diggs, Josh <laughs> Allen. I mean, those three are incredible. Tearing it up, man. Yeah, and that's the craziest part. Is that Gabe Davis only had three catches, and he almost pulled the Randy Moss statistic. I'm not sure if you saw it, where he had like three catches, 156 yards, and three, three touchdowns. touchdowns. Like yeah. Gabe Davis almost pulled the same exact stat line, yeah. which was crazy to to me to think about. <laughs> I mean, Stephon Diggs just kind of proves again why he's a top elite wide receiver. Josh Allen, again, he's going to bolster his case for MVP. This guy is just phenomenal, rushing the ball, passing. Whatever I mean, he does. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> whatever he did to the Steelers' defense, I mean, that should be a crime because he yeah. really just he did whatever he wanted to do. There was no way of stopping him. For sure. 
I, I don't think there's enough to say about Josh Allen. I think he's capable of doing literally anything you ask of him, whether it's passing, whether it's rushing, <laughs> literally just like the all-around QB that every team desires. And yeah, definitely a favorite to be the MVP candidate right now. But I did want to move into another game. Talk about it briefly. Um, the char- the uh, the Chargers and Browns game. In that game, we saw Cade York miss what could have been the game-winning field goal. And honestly, I feel like these these this matchup really always gives us one, like the, one of the games of the year. If I'm not mistaken, last year they put up a 50 burger each yeah. of them. Crazy matchup. And those two offenses, coupled with Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt. Even Jacoby Brissett, like, he was making plays for Amari Cooper as well. That whole offense was clicking along with, you know, Justin Herbert has it back. And Austin Eckler and Mike Williams, those just, they just go at it. Yeah. I mean, speaking of kickers, I mean, a lot of kickers missed a lot of field goals <laughs> this That's week. True. That That's was true. pretty crazy. But teams that aren't just, teams that are not up to par right now are the Super Bowl teams, the Bengals and the Rams. I see both of them struggling right now to get yeah. anything going. I think I believe both of them have a two and three record, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yep. I mean, Super Bowl hangover. People say it's real. If it's not real, I do think it's a real thing because you're going off of that high of making the Super Bowl or winning the Super Bowl, and I don't know what it is. Maybe it's about you know, I just don't see that fire between both of them. But the Bengals, which I thought was pretty surprising, because I mean, you just lost the Super Bowl, you don't have that fire to try to get it back, which is pretty surprising yeah. to me, but. <laughs> I don't know. Both offenses look a little, just a little stale. Let's dive no into Jamar cre- Chase. Jamar <laughs> Chase. I mean, he didn't really do anything against the Ravens. Yeah. I mean, both offenses just look stale. There's no creativity, nothing to get the ball moving. It's, I don't know what it is. I I know for the Rams, Cooper Cup is the only guy catching the ball, doing something. But for everyone else, it's lackluster. Um, Allen Robinson is has been a ghost for this Rams offense. I mean, for the Bengals, Jamar Chase. You know, he only had that one really big game in week one. And after that, it's just kind of been mediocre. I haven't really heard anything about him. T. Higgins, I know he got injured, so that's a big blow for this Bengals offense. But just in general, both of these teams have a lot to figure out because right now they're on track to not even making the playoffs. Yeah, I completely agree. Those teams right now, they do not look like playoff caliber teams. Now to dive in, I feel like what would be one of our last NFL topics, um, the Patriots versus the Lions. I feel like that's an interesting, interesting game because of the fact that it was a shutout. This Patriots team, honestly, you could have told me that they would go into this game and they would this would be the score of the opposite side around, and I would believe it because of how well not only that offense has been for Detroit, but also kind of the defense for the Patriots. They were, in the past few games, just not up to par, and especially we saw it exploited against the Ravens. I feel like that game was just prevalent that they needed to step things up. And I feel like they did it in a big way, shutting down what was the NFL's first first offense in the league. And yeah, there's not enough to say. Like, Ramondre Stevenson, I feel like, I, I don't know, gave me some flashes of, I know you're probably going to like cringe at this, but Derrick Henry, man. Like, this man was unstoppable. 25 carries for 161 yards. And also a receiving option with two receptions for 14 yards. I don't think there's enough to say about that, man. I think he's getting, he's going to have to get his recognition soon. I did tell you last podcast that um, the Patriots were going to beat the Lions. You did not believe me. I, I honestly didn't, yeah. Well, I was right. I'm always <laughs> right at this point. <laughs> but I mean, I knew the Patriots were going to win, especially at home. Um, I did think, I, I don't know how I thought this, that you didn't. I just thought the Patriots defense, I know they kind of, 
sucked a little bit before, but the Patriots defense just always somehow been pretty good. It doesn't matter if, you know, some of the key players are out, they're in. I mean, the Patriots defense just always consistently been a pretty good defense. And I know one of these days they're able to step it up, and they did week five against the Lions. And we all know the Patriots, they're not really a pass-heavy team. They're more of a running first team. And because of that, with combine that against the number one scoring offense, when you run the ball, it takes time off of the clock. And because they run the ball so much, it kind of throws off the groove of the number one scoring offense for the Lions because they weren't able to pass the ball downfield, get their rhythm going. And we saw a lot of that against the Patriots. They're just able to take time off the clock. They weren't able to get the ball towards the Lions for them to do anything at all. Mm-hmm. And for, one quick question for you. Do you think this game from Amon Ross St. Brown means anything toward his production that we're going to see for the rest of the season? Or do you think that this is just a fluke or maybe he's not fully healthy or something like that? I mean, we know that last week he didn't play because he had an injury, so I'm not too worried. It's too early to tell. I mean, I would say this is his first game where he kind of had a dud. But, I mean, we're just going to have to see later on because, I mean, it's a little too early to tell. He did have an injury last game. Maybe that injury was affecting him. We'll see later on in the weeks if his production goes down, if he's not able to re- you know, rack up a lot of these receiving yards. But the Lions do look like they're struggling a lot, even though they have the n- should be the number one scoring offense. It, I'm just not sure what it is. They have to figure it out soon. For sure, for sure. And let's move on to a very controversial and heated debate that's been <laughs> brewing the NBA storm throughout this entire week. Video footage showed Jordan Poole and Draymond Green having an interaction during a Warriors practice in which... Draymond Green threw a punch right at Jordan Poole, which caused a lot of media controversy about Draymond either being suspended, taking time away from the team, or even getting traded as well. What were your thoughts and reactions when you saw the footage? Um, First off, <laughs> I don't know how that video is getting out to begin with. I feel like the media staff or anyone in charge of that taping should definitely be looked at and fired right away. I, yeah. that, that, that should not be able to get out. And for not, that to happen... And for everyone to see the react and be able to react to that, the Draymond punch was not something <laughs> that was taken lightly. Like oh, you fully saw Jordan Poole like fall to the ground. Like that, th- there definitely has to be repercussions after that. I don't know whether the team was going to go through with that had the footage not been leaked. But just so many problems that arise from this whole alter- altercation is it, it has the potential to blow up the locker room. Oh, yeah. And make the chemistry just not what it used to be last season, and just make a finals team, a, a, a team coming off of a finals win, disintegrate. If, that's my opinion. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I do think if whatever repercussions the Warriors were having with Draymond, I think that had to be changed with all the reactions when the video got leaked out. Whether that be Draymond, you know, taking you know time away from the team, maybe suspended for like the first fifteen, twenty games of the season. You know, maybe that was their first initial reaction, but with, with how the public has responded and with the video being leaked out, maybe they had to change it to maybe they actually have to trade Draymond Green or maybe they have to, you know, trade Poole or you know, something has to be done. But for the Warriors, this definitely does bring a lot of chemistry issues. And for Draymond Green, whether that be traded, whether that be, you know, taking time away from the team, I'm not sure what the Warriors are going to do. And maybe that could affect Jordan Poole as well. I mean, we saw that he did have a great game against the Lakers in the preseason last week. But what does this mean? We saw KD a couple years ago. They had that interaction against the Clippers where it was a heated debate in the bench with him and Draymond Green. And what did that equate to? You know, Kevin Durant wanted out from the team afterward. So we don't know what this means for Jordan Poole. Maybe in the offseason, even though it's 
the, the season barely started. Maybe next offseason, he wants out. He doesn't want to be with the Warriors anymore. And we know a lot of teams are willing to spend that big money for Jordan Poole because yep. he's a very great offensive player. So whether, you know, this could really blow up things for the Warriors because maybe that means Jordan Poole is going to be out next season, which would really suck for the Warriors because Jordan Poole is a great offensive threat off the bench for this Warriors team. Yeah. And one thing I want to highlight is that, like, this has happened several times before with Jamon Green. It's happened with DeMarcus Cousins. It's happened with Kevin Durant. This is not a common, this is at this point a common occurrence. And I feel like whether it means that you need to look into options, I know I hate to say it, but I think the Warriors should look into trading Draymond Green. Not only is he someone that can like have the ability to negate the chemistry in a locker room presence, but I feel like while he is somewhat of a leader, I, I know the player that he is, what he can do for the team. You don't want to take this core away. I feel like Jordan Poole, James Wiseman, Moses Moody, they, uh, Kuminga, all these guys, they're the next up. And you don't want to ruin that for the Warriors. And whether it means that you need to trade one of your core players just to shake things up, I think that's something that they really need to look into. For me, I, as much as I don't want it to happen, I mean, I do think Draymond Green could be traded pretty soon. But for me, I don't think Draymond can be traded it's he just provides too much value for this Warriors team for me um I'm just looking past locker room I'm looking past you know his attitude all the all the antics he does I'm looking on their on-court play with the chemistry with Curry and Clay. Draymond Green is that x-factor he is the reason why they're able to you know be able to win all these championships all these games because Draymond Green is that glue that makes the Warriors run without Draymond we saw the statistics Curry you know, Curry did not play as well. The Warriors record did not go as well. When Draymond comes back, he's the one that is initiating the offense. He's the point guard for this team. He's the one that's setting the screens, doing all the dirty work, playing defense, getting the rebounds, telling which players where to go. He's the orchestrator for this Warriors offense. And without him, it's going to be hard for the Warriors to be the offense where we saw where they're just beautifully moving the ball, setting down screens. You know, they're playing this beautiful brand of basketball, and that's all because Draymond Green is the one orchestrating all of this. And I don't see Curry being the one that's telling, hey, set this screen, you go here, you do this. Curry's not the guy to do that. He's the one coming off the screens. He's the one, you know, setting the offense up. But he's not the guy that's going to tell which player to do this because Draymond Green is going to hold everyone accountable. And that's what's making this Warriors team fun. That's why they won the championship just last year without Kevin Durant. So for him to be traded, it's going to really mess things up, especially for Curry and Clay. He's been they've been playing together for almost a decade now. So for Draymond to be traded, I think that's going to hurt them more than helping them. As much as you know, as much as the locker room presence and the chemistry might be shaken off with Poole, I do think though, like Curry, Clay, and Curry, those three need to be together, or else something's just not going to be right with them. Yeah, honestly, this is a big decision that's going to be need to it's going to need to be answered by this Warriors staff. So we'll look in to see what they do, and we'll definitely have an update on it. But for now, I, there's too many unknowns. And once we find out really what's going on with Jamon Green right now, we'll really get a good idea for the entirety of the situation. Because we saw Jordan Poole is fine. He's playing right now. But war, the Warriors, we don't know if they're giving Jamon Green the timeout or making him play. Maybe it's him doing the decision on his own. Once we find out and he starts playing again, we'll really have an idea for that. If there is, even if, and maybe there not might not be any more chemistry issues. Maybe this thing's blown out of proportion. Maybe it was just heated argument and things got taken way too far and he acted on impulse and he shouldn't have, you know? Yeah. We never we don't really know how this situation is going to turn out, but for now, looking at it, 
there's just so many questions that need to be answered. So how do you think this relationship could be rekindled for Draymond and Poole? Because both of these players are super talented players in their own respective fields. And I think you need both of them to be able to compete in this tough Western Conference this year. So how do you think yeah. they're able to, you know, you know, amend this relationship to rekindle this? If if I'm Draymond Green, I'm going to take my time. I'm going to go to Jordan Poole and I'm going to say, I'm going to, I, I know I, what I did. I, lo- you, I lost my res- the respect that you had for me. And... Now it's on me to try and earn it back, and I'm not going to rest until I do that. But for now, I know my role with this team. It's to help you guys yeah. improve yourselves, and I'm going to keep doing that. Yeah. And regardless of the presence that I've had in this locker room, whether you hate my guts or not, we both want to perform well this season, and we want to win. So we're going to take that, and we're going to continue what we did last year and hopefully repeat. Yeah, so this is going to be a lot of big, big decisions that the Warriors GM have to make. And honestly, you know, there are a lot of players that could go out because there's just so many great players for this Warriors team and they just don't have all the money in the world to, you know, keep all of them in. And speaking of big decisions and GMs, the NBA teams are scouring over this one guy. Their their mouths are foaming <laughs> for this one guy. From France, his name is Victor Webinyama, and he recently came to the U.S., in Las Vegas, and he had a couple of showdowns with the number two Raider prospect, Scoot Henderson. And oh my goodness, this guy performed beyond anyone could think or expect from him. This guy dropped 35, <laughs> 36, 37 points, and not just facing the basket, doing shack moves, post hooks. This guy is going out and shooting three-pointers from the logo, from the hash fadeaways, as a seven-foot-five kid. What was your reaction when you saw all those highlights, those tapes, the games? I mean, I really think there's nothing, like, short of incredible. Like, to describe, like, that. that's all I can say to describe this guy. If you don't know his name, Victor Wembanyama, you will soon. Because this guy is the real deal. And I think he's easily comparable to LeBron James as one of the, if not the greatest prospect of all time. Someone of his caliber, 7 feet 5, being able to take over a basketball game, shoot the ball at a consistent rate, have a dribble at his height, be able to penetrate around people who are a foot shorter than you, but just be able to use your size to an advantage over them. There's nothing that we've seen that's of similarity to a guy with his potential. And I think that it's endless. So do you think Victor Webinyama is the greatest prospect of all time? And before you answer that, let me put out some names that were heavily hyped up too before Webinyama. We had Zion Williamson's the most recent player that came out as the super hype next prospect, Zion Williamson. We also have Andrew Wiggins, which is also deemed the next Maple Jordan, the next Michael Jordan, the guy that's going to come in, dominate, take over the league. We also have LeBron. We all know LeBron is this hyped up prospect. Jordan as well. Shaquille O'Neal, Dwight Howard, all these top names. But out of all of those hyped up prospects, do you think Webb and Yama is the greatest prospect to come out of all these people? I'm going to say yes, but let me dive into it really quickly. When I look at all the players that you just mentioned, I think of one common word that I could see throughout all of them. Weakness. Whether it's one of the players, maybe I'll say starting with Andrew Wiggins. He didn't live up to his full potential, but he was never a very prominent takeover type of player. He could never really create for himself. That was never really his role. When he was given that role, he wasn't able to live up to that. If we go up to LeBron James... He himself, he's a winning player. He's argu- he is arguably the GOAT. and But coming out of high school, high school as a prospect, 
he was not the greatest shooter. They all had weaknesses. But when I look at Wembenyama, not only his defensive presence, he also has the ability, ability to facilitate like a guard, dribble like a guard, shoot like a guard, but also have the assertive dominance as Shaq. And it's really not anything I've seen before. Like this man's presence on a basketball court is unmatched. When, just towering over like I don't think people really understand it LeBron James is six foot nine this man is seven foot five but can do everything LeBron James did as a prospect at a better level this is really like it means so much for the, I feel like the NBA community to have someone with this potential because I don't think we're ever going to see something like this again it's not something you take lightly for sure I do agree. I just don't see anyone coming close to what this guy. This guy's coming out of a 2K build when you sit at home and you just feel bored. So you go on to NBA 2K creator <laughs> and he starts sliding the sliders to 7 foot 5. And he start making this guy's wingspan super, super long. And then just because you just feel like it, you just go to the stats and you start putting everything to 99. Then you hop on a court and you start doing whatever you want as a 7 foot 5 guy. And then you look up. And then you see the NBA and the ESPN highlights, and this guy is actually seven foot five, and he's actually doing everything you're doing on a two K controller, but he's actually doing it in real life. I just don't see anybody coming remotely close to what he's doing. I think the only thing that's stopping him is a freak accident and an injury. I'm just really praying that that does not happen because this guy could change a whole NBA future, a whole franchise could change in an instant with this guy. Yeah. And one comparison that I thought was very funny, um, I saw someone compare Victor Wembanyama's presence on the basketball court similar to that of one when, out, like, let's say one of us was nine years old playing with a Nerf hoop in our oh, room yeah. and just dominating. Like, it's just, it's really unfair what he does because if he has this presence over NBA players, I don't think everyone will understand. But, like... The excessive amount that he's going to probably be hacked is insane. Like, I'm expecting this guy to be the free throw leading, like, the leading free throw shooter of all time just because no one's going to be able to guard him, whether it's on the perimeter, whether it's him driving to, to the hoop or simply just using his post-up skills. Because I, I saw him do a couple fadeaways as oh, well. Yeah. They were very Dirk Nowitzki-esque. Yeah. It's just something that, like, an athletic phenom, seven foot five with the abilities given to him similar to LeBron and I just don't think anyone's ever seen anything like this like I think Victor Wembanyama to go past the NBA has the best chance to be the best prospect for any sport of all time just because of how unique he is to the industry of sports and for this NBA that's coming up in literally less than a week how will this affect teams that are tanking for example the Spurs the Jazz you know all these teams they have their mindset up. Victor Webinyama, Victor Webinyama. Yeah. They're not even going to try to make the playoffs. They're t- going for something else, and which is the tank bowl. They're going for that one. Yeah. So for the NBA this season, how is that going to affect how the style of play, the, the type of play these weaker teams are going to play? <laughs> because we know that they're not going to be trying to win. Yeah. So would this lead to maybe more sloppy basketball? Um, not, I don't know if it'll lead to sloppy basketball, but I saw... um. A few people also mentioned something that I found interesting as well. I think something that we're going to see commonly this year is a lot of questionable injuries. Maybe veterans' oh, yeah. presence sitting out that you may not typically find. Like, like just with weirder injuries that you may not speculate to be truthful. Uh, I think we're going to see a lot of tanking teams trying for Victor, which is, I feel like, 
un- undoubtedly like something that is bound to happen. Like I think that there's gonna be more of a race this year. This is gonna be crazy. More of a race for the first pick of the draft than it, there is to the NBA Finals, and that just says, like, it just shows his incredible, like this, just the extent of how incredible of a prospect Victor Wembanyama is. Oh, definitely. I mean, I love to play in tournament. The past two, three playing tournaments, those were some really great games to watch. I'm going to be honest. Like, those games made me hyped up for the NBA playoffs to start. And I'm going to be disappointed because I'm predicting that these playing tournaments are going to be really, really bad. They're going to try to lose. Yeah. They're going to be bad. I mean, there's going to be no effort. They're not going to try to even play. And it's just going to be some lackluster basketball, I feel like, in these playing tournaments. Yeah. Because they're disappointed. The teams that are in the playing tournaments are disappointed. They're like, oh, man, like, uh, I, I need to. I didn't lose enough games to get the Victor sweepstakes. Like, yeah, like they're gonna be disappointed, and it's gonna to lead to really bad basketball to watch, and it's gonna not make me hype for the NBA playoffs, which is gonna be kind of sad. Yeah, no, definitely. I think there's gonna be a fair amount of playing teams that are not gonna look top tier. Let's just say. Also, before t- like finishing up, what we have to say today, I want I did want to t- touch up on Scooter Henderson because he also I wanted to say he is maybe the best point guard prospect we've had since Derrick Rose. Really. And so this, I think you're over jumping the gun a little bit, but I mean he's a great player. I, we'll see. I see him like a Damian Lillard type player, this combo guy that's able to score and pass the ball. He's got great athletic gifts, but you know, you're a little reaching it over there with Derrick Rose. I mean, you got John Morant that came out, you know, a couple of all nah, these top players. Nah, nah, nah. I'll, I'll, Jalen Green as well. Here, so the thing that gets me about Henderson is that his ability to just stay unmatched like the ability to break off from his defender is something that i haven't seen like not only is it like speeding passing driving by or is it creating off the dribble or just using his sheer explosiveness to just tower over them using his athleticism like he's a probably if you want me to i'll go into more specifics the most athletic guard we've seen coming out of college since Derek rose I think John Morant has something to say about that. I'm not going to lie. John Morant is quite the talent, but Scooter Henderson's presence, he's taller. I mean, Scooter Henderson he, has more skill, I would say. He's more skilled with creating off the ball, creating shots. But from an athletic standpoint, I I, I, I got to disagree. John Morant has more athleticism, I would say. It is def- it's definitely a debate to be had. But um, Sco- the, the, the thing that gets me and what makes me think that he's the better... Um, athlete is that he's not only taller but his vertical is higher and his ability to just float like i swear when he's dunking it looks like he's in slow motion like i don't know if you saw the highlight dunk that he had when he was playing in this game versus victor Wembanyama, but man did it look like he was in slow motion and then the picture afterward with him just like with the tongue out it was it was just a moment to be had man like yeah well just these two prospects i feel like are undoubtedly two of the best that we've seen in recent years. I you may disagree about Scooter Henderson, but either way, Victor Victor Wembanyama is definitely the best prospect we've I think we've ever seen to this day in NBA history. So I think this is going to be a very good draft class too. All right, and that's all we have for today. And for more episodes, check out Top House Sports on Spotify. I'm Hansel Chu along with Katie Mutamid, and we'll see you next time.